Welcome to The Abundant Life with your host, me, Brandon Kelly. Hey, welcome to episode four of The Abundant Life. I'm so excited that you've decided to join me for the next 15 minutes. Today's episode is titled, Ricky Bobby, A Party in Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've seen Talladega Nights, the movie, but it came out before I was a Christian, and I looked at this movie uh, with a whole different perspective than what I have now, and one of my favorite scenes from that movie is one that may make you irritated, I'm not sure, but uh, nonetheless, let me tell you about it. Ricky Bobby and his family and his friend Cal are about to have dinner they're about, they have an assortment of things like pizza and KFC and, and an assortment of like Taco Bell. It's it's pretty epic, and they're they're praying. They decide to pray, and uh, you know they call it say grace or whatever. And they're about to pray, and and Ricky Bobby he decides that he's gonna pray to Baby Jesus. Like he he on purpose decides that he's going to pray specifically to Baby Jesus, eight pounds seven ounce Baby Jesus, who's uh, you know, wrapped in swaddling linen cloth and all of this different things. He, he goes elaborate and, and paints the picture of who he's praying to. Don't mind that. That's my daughter crying and whining. I think it's storming outside. My wife is with her, so no worries if you hear a crying toddler in the background. So he's He's praying to baby Jesus and, and his wife, I think it was, it was like, why do you why are you praying to baby Jesus? You know that he grew up and all, right? And and then his friend Kyle's like, I don't have any problem with that, but I actually like to pray to uh, Jesus. I, I, I like to envision Jesus with a, a tuxedo t-shirt because it's like, I'm formal, but I'm here to party. And it's just so funny. And uh, the rest of the scene, you know, it, it's just it's just hilarious. And so I don't know what you think about Talladega Nights, but it, it brings up an interesting thing that all people all across this world, they have different views of Jesus. And I'm not naive to think that, uh, you know, you listening to this uh, as a Christian, that your the Jesus you envision is the same Jesus I envision. Like there may be some nuances that we don't share. And, and so what I want to propose to you today is, does your Jesus reflect the Jesus of Scripture? Because for, you know, Ricky Bobby, he liked to envision baby Jesus. But, you know, we only have a little bit about baby Jesus. And, and the whole reason why baby Jesus is so important is because what adult Jesus did at age 33 or so dying on a cross, rising from the dead, and, and and just giving us the the eternal gift of salvation. Like, that's why we would talk about a baby Jesus. But does your Jesus, the one you worship, does he reflect the Jesus of Scripture? Now, I'm not saying that your Jesus doesn't, and mine, mine does, but in an attempt to get us on the same track, on the same perspective of who Jesus is, we need to go to Scripture and see what scripture says about Jesus. So we're going to look at John chapter 2. We've been going through the book of John together, bit by bit, passage and section by section. So if you've missed an episode thus far, you can find this podcast on both iTunes and Stitcher. And then you can also find it on my website, Brandon Kelly. 
kellyweller.org. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y dot org. And you can find the show notes and you can find the past episodes on there as well. And uh, just FYI, I will have the the scripture verses on the show notes at brandonkelly.org. If you are listening to this on a podcasting app, you might be able to access those show notes and be able to access the scripture right from your phone. So it's pretty awesome. If you have a Bible, though, you can turn to John chapter 2. I'll be reading from the ESV Bible, the English Standard Version. So John chapter 2. So I, I propose to you a question. Does your Jesus reflect the Jesus of Scripture? And I ask you that question because this passage is problematic for many people who call themselves Christians. It's problematic because Jesus does something they don't necessarily like and necessarily agree with. Because if we were honest, if Jesus did this and he was a part of your church or some other church, he might be run out of the community, the gathering that we call the church. So let's read this. John chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Let's look at this. John says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Mary was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So Jesus got his disciples, his homeboys with him, his mom's there. And in verse 3 we see, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They've got no wine. So she was clearly concerned. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't, like, advocate for calling your mother woman or your wife or whatever. Um, Not many women like that. (laughs) Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. In other words, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to go down to Kroger and get some more wine. And his mother said to the servants, whatever, Jesus, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So, like, I see a son and mother moment right here where Jesus is like, I don't want to do anything about the wine. And his mom, like, maybe gave him a look, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about, moms? And guys, you know what I'm talking about? Daughters, you know what I'm talking Anybody who's a mom, you know what I'm talking about? And she says, servants, just do whatever he says because he's going to do something. You see that kind of implied in her response. Verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Like, this is so ironic. There were six stone water jars there for the, like, listen to this, for the Jewish rites of purification. Like, these were the water jars they were going to use to, like, clean their hands and and what have you before they were going to eat and do whatever else they were going to do as Jews each holding 20 or 30 gallons, like that was a lot of water. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the water jars with water. So fill the jars with water. So get some more water in there. And so they filled them up to the brim, like complete maximum capacity. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Take it to the guy who's in charge which I'm assuming was the father of the bride or father of the groom, whichever was putting on this party. So they took it. 
Verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. In other words, this is not normal. This is some good stuff. Why are you serving this now? But you have kept the good wine until now. Like he was clearly impressed with the bridegroom. So I'm assuming this was the father of the bride and the bridegroom was like earning brownie points with her father. Verse 11, this, the first sign of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So you have the first miracle that John records Jesus doing, and it's not just healing a man of blindness. It's not doing some you know noble deed, but it's doing something that you or some other people you know would be uncomfortable with, and they would try to explain it away and say, well, the wine of those days, you know, wasn't as potent, it wasn't as alcoholic, in fact, it was more just, you know, grape juice is what they would say, because this makes them uncomfortable with the Jesus they understand to him to be. And so they try to explain it away, but what we see in here is that the the, the master of the feast, the guy who was in charge, was utterly, like, totally blown away with the fact that they had the good wine at the end. Like, it was some good stuff. And, and the Bible speaks against drunkenness, so we don't need to necessarily explain this away and say, well, it was just, it was non-alcoholic. Like, it was some O'Doul's beer. Like, it was, it was just, you know, it had the taste, but it wasn't really alcoholic. Because this guy, he, 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 I cl- I'm sure, clearly knew that this was some good wine, and he was astonished with the fact that they saved the good wine for last. And in fact, they didn't save it for last. Jesus took some water and turned it into wine. And what was the purpose? What was the purpose of him changing some water into wine? It just kind of blows my mind. But, but we see in, in verse 11 that the disciples believed in him. Like that miracle pointed to them believing in Jesus. Now John doesn't like go into depth of what they believed about him, but their faith in him, their devotion to him was clearly enhanced by Jesus doing this miracle. And, and throughout the New Testament, what you'll see is when there are miracles done, they are for the basically the lifting up of Jesus and his nature and his, who he is. And so... What does this tell me? Because to begin our time, I asked you a question. Does your Jesus reflect the Jesus of Scripture? Like, does the Jesus you know, is he willing to go and party with people? Is he he willing to go party with some drunk people? Like, is he willing to do that? Is he willing to go where people are just getting wasted? Because it seemed to be what was happening at this wedding. Because the Jesus, you know, your Jesus may be the one who kind of stays home and and, and stays holy in in a way that he is just 
away from all the unholiness as if him going into places of unholiness would somehow get rid of his holiness. I'm curious, does, does your Jesus, does he reflect the Jesus of Scripture? Is he willing to not only go party with drunkards, but is he willing to turn some water into wine just because his mom asked him to? Like, just think about the implications of this. Throughout, throughout the whole, all of the Gospels, all of the accounts that we have of Jesus' life, we see him getting in trouble with the religious leaders of the day because he was going where he wasn't supposed to go. He was spending time with the people he wasn't supposed to spend time with. He was doing the things that he wasn't supposed to do as a rabbi. As a religious leader himself, he was doing things that, that the, the norm of the culture wasn't okay with. And so, like, would Jesus, if he were here today in physical form, as a man, would he be, you know, would he be going to bars? Would he be going to parties where people are drinking? I think he would. And so, today, I just want to ask you a question. Does your Jesus reflect the Jesus of Scripture? Because I think we could all use a fresh perspective on the real Jesus. The Jesus we see in Scripture. A great book that I highly recommend you read is, is a book by Aaron Chambers. It's called Eats with Sinners. I'll link to it in the show notes. It goes, he goes through and, and illustrates and shows how Jesus was intimately interested in spending time with people who were not religious. With people who were nothing like him. To borrow a phrase from Andy Stanley, people who are nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus. And, and I wonder, you know, how, how much we don't realize that Jesus was going to the places where we oftentimes don't want to go because things are being done that we don't agree with. And so let me just ask you again, does the Jesus... Does your Jesus reflect the Jesus of Scripture? And, and if he doesn't, then, then we need to all, I think, would benefit from a fresh perspective on who Jesus is. And that's why I'm going through the book of John so that we can see who Jesus really is. And so that we can be better equipped and better prepared to live the abundant life that he has come to give us. So get in his word today. Get in his word this week. Get in his word. Learn who Jesus is. Hey, thanks again for joining me for episode four of The Abundant Life. I'm so thankful that you did. I hope it's been a blessing. If it has, would you leave a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher? I'd really appreciate it. It'll help more and more people hear about this podcast and hopefully receive hope and encouragement from it. Also, you can subscribe through there, but you can also subscribe through brandonkelly.org, and I'll send you uh, by email every time I post something new. It's typically Tuesdays and Fridays, and I'll send that to you, and in return for doing that, I will send you a free ebook. It's one of probably the most interesting things I've ever written uh, about a guy who hangs from cranes and buildings. It's pretty crazy, and it's three things you can learn from him, and I'm also always uh, thinking of new resources new ideas to send to you. And so if you subscribe, you'll be the first person, the first group of people to receive that new resource. So be looking for it. I'm working on a four-week audio course, 
and uh, some other things that will go with that. And I hope it's going to be a blessing to you. So you can subscribe on brandonkelly.org and you can do that on iTunes and Stitcher if you'd just be interested in getting the podcast. Thanks again for joining me. I hope you have a blessed day and a blessed Labor Day weekend if you're listening to this on the day it was recorded. 